Amen. Good morning, Evie Free. How are you guys this morning? You guys doing well? Well, we have a lot of white shirts over here on the left. With t- t- yeah. Now, what, now, what are the white shirts about? Summer. Summer. And where are you guys going? And when are you going? Bless you guys. Bless you guys. Have fun. <laughs> oh. Well, EV Free, it's great to be with you. If this is your first time to EV Free, we just want to welcome you. My name's Austin. I'm one of the teaching and venue pastors here. And uh, it's good to be together to worship Jesus. And as I look around the room, I, I love how many empty seats we have because it means two things. One, you kind of get to sit in whatever seat you want to. Um, but more importantly, we know that there are so hundreds of people in North Orange County that need to be connected to a local church to pray and to worship with people. So when we see empty seats, we see people all around North Orange County that we're praying will fill them one day, specifically at this service, because we know there's a lot of early birds out there. Um, so for those of you who are early birds and are with us, we just want to thank you. Um, we're just a group of people that have stumbled upon faith in Jesus. Uh, so if you're, you're around here, you'll hear three words a lot. You'll hear the words follow, connect, and go. And that basically means that we're passionate about following Jesus as disciples, connecting as family, and going as missionaries into our world. And uh, this week I was thinking about what it's like to be a part of the church and why gathering together is so beautiful. And I, I thought of some of the words of Jesus when he's speaking to some of the people uh, that are gathered. This is on the iPad. It's in uh, Matthew 5. Uh, Jesus is talking to a group of his disciples, and he says, you are the salt of the earth. In other words, you help preserve the good, godly things in this world. You people that are gathered together in the name of Jesus, you help make life more tasty and more flavorful. In the same sentence, he talks to his disciples, and he says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. In other words, if you've ever walked through a house and it's been dark, you you stub your toe on the table, or you trip over something you left out. The church is like turning on the light in the world to put on display what it's like to follow Jesus, to put on display what it's like to be salt. Uh, In the book of Acts, they talk about the church, and it says, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light, a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, when they use this word salvation, what they're referring to is uh, the overall well-being of the human experience. It's not just the salvation of our spirit and of our soul. It's the idea of salvation in every area of our lives, with our family, with our friends, in the workplace, with our finances. It's this idea that God gets in the middle of our stuff and brings us to completeness. So that's the idea of the church, that they're salt. They make life more flavorful. The church is light. It helps the world see what it's like to follow Jesus. And finally, it's for the purpose of God's salvation, his well-being, his wholeness, his complete healing being extended to every corner of the world. And so to be a part of that thing is good news. To be a part of that mission is a great privilege. And so this week I was thinking about the mission of God and how we're to live as salt. 
and how we are to live as light and how we're to extend salvation to the ends of the earth. Uh, and, and it's something that I've been thinking about quite a bit recently, and it's the idea of work. Um, and and when, I, when I talk about work, I mean not only work in the marketplace, but for those of you who are stay-at-home parents, work in the home. If you've been living for any amount of time post-high school, you know that the world is filled with work. And we spend hours and hours every day, oftentimes from sun up to sundown, working. And the good news for us is that this isn't a separate part of our formation as disciples. But when you read the text, you actually learn that work is kind of at the center of the human experience. You know, for a lot of us, um, if you've been a part of faith for a while, you imagine that work is something that is the result of the fall. Like the reason we're working now is because Adam and Eve messed up in the garden So now we're relegated to work, and we hope that one day we can retire not only on this earth, but enter ultimate retirement, which is in heaven where we're sitting on the clouds playing harps and singing our favorite songs, right? But the the idea in the scriptures is that work is actually something that's very good, and it predates the fall. And so this morning, we want to look at the idea of work as it's portrayed in the scriptures, and we'll read about it, how Genesis talks about it being the beginning. Um, Then we'll talk a little bit about the New Testament, how Paul encourages his churches to work. And then uh, we'll read some quotes from some early church fathers and monks who just found great delight and joy in work. Are you guys ready? Yeah, let's do this. I know you're excited. (laughs) Uh, We're going to begin in Genesis Chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. Genesis simply means beginnings. It means origins. And so when we read the book of Genesis, we're we're finding out how the story of God unfolded and how it developed. And oftentimes when you end up in chapters 1, 2, and 3, you read about the goodness of creation what, what they call the fall of creation, and then post-chapter 3, it's the redemption of creation. But this is chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Uh, it says, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. Notice it says there, there, there was no one to work the ground. And so we have this interesting scene of what the earth looks like. It says, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. So it's like walking on top of a slip and slide. You have all this land and there's just water kind of misting up from the earth. It says, then the Lord God formed a man, a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And it says, the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And if we can go back to the iPad for this one, this is skipping forward to verse 15. It says, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So here's kind of the picture that Genesis paints for us, is you have this large world. This is like an ancient world that's flat. Um, 
but it'll work for our purposes. So you have this world, and you kind of have all of these springs that are misting up water from the ground, which makes the ground wet, right? You have this world that's made of formable materials. Uh, and then it says that what God does is he, he plants, we're putting an E here for the Garden of Eden. He plants this garden in the middle of kind of this watery waste. And in the garden, it says that he put the man to work it and to take care of it. Now, remember, this is before the fall. This is before sin and brokenness has entered the world. And the idea behind Adam and Eve being in Eden here, we're going we're to color it in. Um, I, I never perfected my coloring skills in kindergarten, so I'm not an artist. Uh, but the idea behind being in the garden is that they were to work it and they were to take care of it, meaning that ultimately what was going to happen is the garden's boundaries were going to be extended. So Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, and their idea is to take this garden and make all this watery waste look like the garden that God had planted. In other words, God invites Adam and Eve into what God does and into what God is doing. This is the work that was given to Adam and Eve to work and take care of it. Now, remember those words, work and care, work and care. This is how God ultimately uh, blesses this. We'll we'll stick on the iPad for this moment. Uh, In Genesis chapter 1, it says that God blessed them. He blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In other words, God blesses work. Work is a good thing to God. And for Adam and Eve to be invited to work alongside God and to participate in what God has begun is a thing that's to be celebrated. It's something that's designed to be blessed. God actually gives them authority and empowers them to do this, to work it and to take care of it. Now, for the ancient Near East and specifically uh, the people of Israel, this idea of working the ground and taking care of it was central to their worship. You see, oftentimes when we think of worship, we simply think about the songs that we sing in church. But for the ancient Near East, working and taking care of the land was worship. You see, God creates this garden. And the text actually says that God walks back and forth in the garden. And that Adam and Eve are in the presence of God. And when they're close to the presence of God, they're, they're working the garden. They're taking care of the garden. So this is skipping forward. We'll go to the iPad for this. Uh, This is um, Numbers chapter 3, verses 5 to 8. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Bring the tribe of Levi and present them to Aaron the priest to assist him. They are to perform duties for him. They They are to perform duties for him and for the whole community at the tent of meeting. By what? Doing the work of the tabernacle and by taking care of it. See, for the priests in the temple that were surrounded by the presence of God, they were actually imitating what Adam and Eve had done. 
In the same way that Adam and Eve worked and took care of the garden, these priests that are in the center of the temple are working and taking care of the garden they've been given. In this sense, it's the temple. But not only are they replicating the work that Adam and Eve have done, they're actually putting on display for all of Israel what it's like to work and take care of the things God had given them. So outside the temple, you actually have plots of land, And when you read the text, you find that these plots are oftentimes described in garden terminology. And so all of Israel has been given a garden and they are, they are commissioned to work and to take care of it. In other words, the, drawing near to the presence of God, you, you can do that by working. And somehow working is actually worship. This happens again um, later in the book of Numbers. This is Numbers 18 verses 5 and 6. Uh, says this. You are to be responsible for the what? The care of the sanctuary and the altar, so that my wrath will not fall on the Israelites again. I myself have selected your fellow Levites from among the Israelites as a gift to you, dedicated to the Lord to do what? The work at the tent of meeting. So here the priests are given the same language that Adam and Eve were given. Worship God by working and taking care of of the things that you are given. This, for some of us, is a, it's a paradigm shift. That work is a beautiful, good, God-ordained thing. It's actually a way that we can enter into the presence of God and worship him. So then we ask ourselves the question, so what's, what's the problem? Why do I hate work so much, right? Uh, and Genesis actually tells us that in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Adam and Eve have eaten from the fruit on the tree. And uh, God is setting on some curses on the earth. And it says this beginning in verse 17. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It says, instead of easily producing good things, it will actually produce thorns and thistles for you, and and you will eat the plants of the field. It says, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken. For the dust you are, and to dust you will return. You see, in this moment, it's not work that is the curse. It's simply that, hey, before the fall, when you are performing your God-mandated, God-commanded um, activity, the ground was just going to produce for you. In fact, you were blessed to do it. Be fruitful. Multiply. Have dominion. Rule over the earth. Take care of it. But it's after the fall that work on some level becomes tedious. Now, when Adam and Eve work, it'll be by the sweat of their brow. And now instead of just fruits and vegetables and vegetation easily being produced, it says, ah, amongst this fruit and vegetation, there's going to be thorns and there's going to be thistles. It's just going to be a little bit more difficult now. And so for the, new, for the Old Testament writers, work was central to worship. It's how you drew near to the presence of God and it's how you remembered that God was present in your life. It was through work. Paul says a lot of these uh, same things when he's writing to the, uh, the early churches. First, this is just an example of Paul. This is Acts 18, 1 through 3. It says, After this, 
Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. So Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. Oftentimes when we think of Paul, we think of him as just a roaming preacher, going from church to church to church, planning churches and preaching. And and while that is true, there were significant periods of Paul's life in which he worked with his hands. And he made tents and he would spend Monday through Friday working alongside of people with his hands. And then on Saturdays, he would reason in the synagogue with the local Jewish people. This was the life of Paul. Paul was not afraid to work with his hands. When he writes to one of his churches, he makes it pretty clear. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. He says this, he says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Paul is asking the churches to live the way he lived and watch the way he lived. He says, we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, it says, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Work the way that we do. Work with your hands because it's good. Work with your hands because it's God-ordained. Whether it's in the marketplace or around the home, work with your hands. This is good. He says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some of you are idle and that you're disruptive. It says they are not busy, but they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food that they eat. Paul thinks that work is a good thing. Paul's been steeped in the Jewish scriptures and he knows that this is good. Are you guys with me? Work is good. This is Colossians chapter 3 verse 22. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters. For our purposes, slaves could be employees and masters could be your employers. So employees, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as reward, it is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving. It's so interesting the way Paul uh, lays this out for us. In verse 22, obey your earthly masters with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. What an interesting way to approach our bosses. Whatever you do, work at it as if working for the Lord. It is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving. These verses have really messed with me for a long time. (laughs) I remember my first job. Uh, Who in the room has been to Sonic? 
There's a couple of us. Their cherry limeades are amazing, and they have a great happy hour if you've never been to it. It's like half off drinks from 2 to 5 p.m. It's amazing. Um, but it's not amazing when you work there. Uh, it was my first job, and I was a car hop, and I, and I would race from car to car with my tray full of hamburgers and uh, cherry limeades and Cokes. And this is kind of before the day that you could use credit cards at Sonic. I know it's a wild idea. Uh, so we had you know, tons of cash in our pockets, and we'd go up and we'd give them their food. They'd hand us a $10 bill. We'd make change. And I have to tell you, some people, when you're in the food industry, can just be rude. They're just rude. And I'd, I'd go to one or two cars, and a couple of them would be rude, and I'd think, well, I'm going to show you customers. I'm just going to be a little bit cold and rude backwards. And so I'd go back in, I'd get an order, I'd start to dart to a car. And as I was darting to the car, this verse, it is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving, would resonate in my heart. I'd think, dang it. I got to be nice. At one point, you're going to hear about a lot of jobs that I worked today. Um, at one point, I worked uh, retail in a clothing store. If you've ever worked in retail, uh, you know that it's, it's actually a pretty demanding job in the sense that there are a lot of standards that you have to perform. Like from corporate on down, you have to fold the jeans in a certain way, and every hanger has to be about half an inch apart from each other, and all the shirts need to be laid out in a certain way, and it's just like, oh my gosh. It's like a room that's always dirty, because customers, I mean, you guys have probably done it, I've done it, you're like looking for those jeans you need, and so you flip over the whole pile, like, I got them, and you run to the counter, but you don't put it back. Somebody's got to put it back. That was me. Uh, and I was so tempted at times just to try and walk the floor and avoid the boss and avoid like doing the standards, right? I got pretty good at it at one point. Uh, but as I'm, I'm walking the floor, these words are resonating. Whatever you do, work at it, at it as if unto the Lord. Obey your employers, the people who give you the standards with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Darn it. I can't hide in the store anymore. Like the words of Paul, they, they completely reframe the way that we approach our bosses, the way that we approach our jobs. Work is a good thing, and we're called to do it as if under the Lord. And, and I think that it's interesting that for some of us that um, have a missional mindset towards work, and this isn't a bad thing, but we kind of think that it's just the stage by which we can share Jesus with people. Like, it's just the stage by which we can witness to people. And although that is a beautiful thing, and I think you should invite all of your coworkers to church, I, I think it's interesting that in Genesis chapter 1, when Adam and Eve are given this beautiful command to work, there were no, quote-unquote, unsaved people. There was no one to witness to. It was just work for the sake of work. Work as worship, not as something that we're doing so that we can sneak into people's lives and get them to church, although I think that's a good thing. Uh, but it was actually approaching God through the aspect of work. I, I think of moms and dads that work in the home doing dishes and laundry and mowing the yard when no one's around. That work is still worship even though nobody sees it. It's what we've been called to. Um, and so... There's some quotes that I want to read to you guys that are just, have been so profound for me. Uh, oh, this is First Thessalonians as well. We'll read this one too. Uh, and Paul says, make it your ambition. <laughs> Be ambitious to lead a quiet life. 
I just think that's so interesting for 21st century Americans to read. In a world where you're trying to get as many likes on Instagram as possible, you want as many people to see your Facebook post as possible, Paul says, man, quiet is the new loud. Silence is the new bold. Be ambitious to lead a quiet life. So mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. Paul thinks this is a great way to worship God. And so this is a a guy named Charles Plantinga. And he says this. He says, this is the positive reason for the 16th century Protestant affirmation of ordinary life. Oftentimes we look down on ordinary life, but there's something beautiful about it. This is the affirmation of ordinary life and culture. That is, of the normal practices of human hands and of human minds. We needn't be priests or nuns in order to have a vocation. We needn't withdraw to monasteries to serve God maximally. It says work and play, friendship and marriage, business and art, probably even government, are all intrinsically good things. And may all have a part in the Christian's vocation. It says God has hallowed these good things. He's hallowed working for your boss. He's hallowed having employees. He's hallowed working in the home. He's hallowed these good things and called us to relish and employ them, to enjoy them. Says the Christian at her drafting board may be engaged in full-time Christian service just as surely as the priest at his altar. In other words, wherever you are in the workforce, at home, behind a computer, in a kitchen, at a restaurant, you can be worshiping God simply by the way that you're working. In the same way that you're at the altar, you can be at your little altar at work, in your desk, by your cubicle. Uh, There's a guy named Brother Lawrence. Um, He was a monk. He had fought in the Thirty Years' War, uh, and then after exiting because of an injury, he joins this monastery. And uh, what the monks quickly found is that uh, Brother Lawrence was absolutely nothing special. In fact, he wasn't really good at anything. So he shows up. He doesn't really have an education, so he can't be a cleric. He can't be a priest. He can't perform duties on stage. And they tried to put him in charge of different stuff, and he just wasn't good at it. So they put him back in the kitchen to wash the dishes, uh, which I... um, I resonate with because I worked at P.F. Chang's as a back waiter at one point. I would, I'd go bust tables. I'd take them back and I'd wash them. Aren't you guys glad you're getting such a history of all the jobs that I've worked in my day? P.F. Chang's, Banana Republic, Sonic. I've been all over the map. So Brother Lawrence, he, he's in this kitchen washing dishes. Uh, and he, he quickly begins to curry the favor of local monks, even the monks that would preach from the stage. And they'd go talk to Brother Lawrence about how he lives such a quiet, godly life. And he he has a few of these statements to make about work. These are some of his quotes from a book he wrote called Practicing the Presence of God. And remember, this isn't a man that spent a ton of time in a monastery praying necessarily, but just washing dishes. He says, men invent means and methods of coming at God's love. In other words, ritual prayers and ritual songs, and those things are good. Uh, And he says, they learn rules and and they set up devices to remind them of God's love. And it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into the consciousness of God's presence. In other words, you kind of have to escape the duties of life in order to enter the presence of God. You have to stop cleaning 
to enter the presence of God. You have to stop making phone calls to enter the presence of God. It's this idea there's like a separation. He says, yet it might be a little more simple than that. Is it not quicker and easier just to do our common business wholly for the love of him? Isn't isn't it good enough just to make our beds because we love God? Isn't it good enough just to be an accountant because we love God and as we work, we're reminded of his presence? This is another one. We have two more. I'm going to overstate this point, so I hope you guys are with me. Uh, The time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. What an interesting concept. And in the noise and the clatter of my kitchen, you can substitute your home, your cubicle, your restaurant. While several persons are at the same time calling for different things, it says that I possess God in a great tranquility, as if I were upon my knees before the blessed sacrament. In other words, when your kids are yelling at you and you're, and you're trying to clean the house, you can actually cultivate an inner tranquility. When you're at work and you're trying to get your spreadsheet done and your boss is breathing down your neck, you can, you can have an inner tranquility. When you're in the kitchen and they need that, that food pronto within two minutes to get to the server, to get to the table, you can possess an inner tranquility. You can approach your work as worship. And finally, he says, our sanctification does not depend as much on changing our activities as it does on doing them for God rather than for ourselves. The idea behind all of this is that Work is a sacred place in which we can worship. We can approach our cubicle with our computers with a sense that we're doing it as if under the Lord. We can approach the kitchen at a restaurant, washing dishes and running food and bussing tables as if doing our work before the Lord. You could be a stay-at-home parent. You could be a doctor, a lawyer, a plumber, a construction worker, and you can approach all of it with a sense of, this is worship. Even if I don't share Jesus with anybody, even if I don't invite someone to church, this is worship and this is good. I can hammer nails with tranquility in my heart. I can do dishes with tranquility in my heart. I can have kids and bosses and employees yelling at me and begging for my attention and I can still possess the inner tranquility of God because work is worship. You see, we've all been given a garden to work and to take care of. For some of us, it's our studies at school. It's the workplace. It's our home. But the idea behind all of this is that worship is so much larger than the songs that we sing. It's so much larger than the prayers that we pray. But in everything that we do, we can do it because we just love God. And it's a good thing to do. At one point, uh, Brother Lawrence even says, is it not enough just to pick up a piece of straw from the ground for the love of God? <laughs> I just say, wow, what, what peace of mind that everything, stacking chairs, doing dishes, making meals, working all simply because we love God. And there's something about work that can draw us in to the presence of God. And I think for the believer, this is a wildly powerful idea. This expands our paradigm of what worship is. And so today we're not going to close with worship. 
I should say, with worship by song. We, we did some extended on the front end, but we just want to close to commission all of you in saying, as you leave and you go to your homes to do laundry, you go to feed your kids, you, you get ready for work this evening or work tomorrow, you, you, you can approach it with a new sense that God is in this place. I'm, I'm now finding God in my home when I'm making my bed. I'm now finding God in my cubicle. One last story real quick. I used to make uh, cold calls from a telephone in a cubicle. I was like setting up sales appointments for salespeople. I know. Um, but I wasn't calling residents. I was calling businesses. I found solace in that. Um, but I'd make these phone calls, and they wanted me to keep track of how many phone calls I'd make every day. So I had a little number chart, I'd, the Roman numeral, like one, two, three, four, slash, one, you know. Um, I said, okay, I can do that. And so what I would do is I'd make about five phone calls on my little piece of paper, and then every week I'd have a scripture I was meditating on, and I'd write something down like, you know, um, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Okay, make more phone calls. Five more, I'd write down. God works all things together for the good of those who love him. I was in this cubicle making calls, finding God's presence in that place. And it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. So whether you work at P.F. Chang's or Sonic or Banana Republic or you make cold calls, I've done all of them. You, you, you can find God's presence there. And so can we stand together as we close? Uh, as we close, just a couple of quick things for you. Uh, if you just want prayer about this, uh, we have a prayer team that would love to meet with you on my left, your right. And if you, you can have anything you want to pray for. It could be towards your job or your vocation. We want to pray with you. Uh, secondly, if you're interested in being baptized, either A, you've recently come to faith in Jesus and you want to make a public declaration of that faith, uh, or you've been a believer for a long time and you've just never gone through uh, the process of baptism, we're doing baptisms next week. And it, it's going to be absolutely amazing. So in the plaza, there's a place to sign up for baptisms. We'd love for you to stop by there. And so with that being said, um, I want to bless you. I want to bless you that in your workplace, in your home, to be fruitful and to multiply. I want to bless you to rule and subdue the places that are in chaos in your world. I want to bless you that when you go to work with your boss and with your employees, that you would work with a reverence as if unto the Lord. That any space that you go to in work, you can find God's presence there. And so as you leave, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. You guys have a great afternoon.